0: Well good morning friends and welcome to uh, First Methodist Mansfield. Wow, I sound a little bit like Darth Vader this morning, that's really, really odd. (laughs) Uh, Ooh, when I laugh it's even worse. Uh, If we have not met, my name is David. I serve as the senior pastor. Oh, here we go. I serve as the senior pastor here, and uh, it's great to welcome you uh, on this brand new day uh, of this new year. If, if you're a guest here, uh, thank you for being here as we start a uh, start a new year together. I want to invite you to open your Bibles if you brought those to Ephesians chapter four. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can uh, find Ephesians four in the blue Bibles that we have here in our worship spaces uh, on page eighteen eighteen. Uh, love for you to turn there as we begin our message today. We are uh, starting a new series, uh, as you've already heard and as you've already seen, uh, that is inspired by the life of Fred Rogers, the creator and host of the children's show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. First aired in February 1968 and went all the way through August of 2001. Over the course of 33 years, uh, Fred Rogers recorded 912 episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I'm not going to ask if you have seen all 912, maybe somebody has, but uh, there, there were many. Uh, you may have also heard, uh, as, as, as I knew, that Fred Rogers was also an ordained Presbyterian minister. And you may have assumed, as I did, that that was kind of the first gig he did and didn't really like it, and so he thought he wanted to do something else, and so he went and did television. But that's, that's actually not the story. The story is uh, that Fred Rogers was ordained in the Presbyterian church and he was ordained to the ministry of a television evangelist. Now, not in the way we might normally think about that, but uh, it is a way for us to understand everything that he did, the expression of his life, this, this work that over the course of 33 years he did, it was an expression of his ministry and his faith in Jesus. Uh, Fred Rogers once said, I'm convinced that the space between the television set and the viewer is holy ground and what we put on television can by the holy spirit be translated into what someone needs to hear and see. I hope over the next uh, 4 weeks you'll you'll learn a few more things about him. I will tell you that as recently as last night I learned something new about Fred Rogers which was that as the sermon was beginning I had this idea that I was I was going to put the cardigan on while the video was playing and I learned that's really hard. If you're wearing a dress shirt to put a cardigan on it was it was it was a disaster, I'll just tell you that. So I'm just wearing it full time uh, uh, now uh, because it just it just didn't go well. Let me tell you a little bit about the what and the why of this particular series. Those are two questions that I have to have an answer for as we, as we consider each uh, potential series and, and think about whether or not we're gonna be sharing that with our congregation. What's, what's the goal? What's the outcome? What do we hope happens in the lives of those who are part of that series as a result of hearing the messages that we put together Uh, in each of those particular series. And and whatever that outcome is, however we define it, Why does it matter? Why is it important? Why why would we want to spend, however many weeks we set aside, why would we want to spend that time on, on that particular focus in that particular season of time? So I want to share with you first the what and the why of this series. So the what is this. I believe that Jesus is the model of the Christian life. Paul says in Philippians that we are to have the same mindset as Christ. The writer of Hebrews says that we should run our race with perseverance and that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Christ is the model of the Christian life. He is the life, uh, his life is the one that we are meant to imitate in the way that we live our lives. He is the mold for us. At the same time, I recognize, and perhaps you have noticed this as well, that often the best way for us to wrap our heads around and to to find clarity uh, around what that looks like for us in our life is to look at how that is lived out in the life of another. That in another's legacy or in another's lived experience, we see an expression of what it means to live like Christ— And it just, it gives us a better sense of what that might look like in our life. Now, Christ is still the mold, he is still the model, but we often are helped in this process by by seeing that lived out in another's experience. And so, over the course of these weeks, we seek to look at a life well lived, and in doing so, we hope to be inspired in our own life at the beginning of a brand new year, To continue to grow, to become more and more like Jesus, molding our life, shaping our life according to the model, the pattern of life that he has set for us. That's the what of this series. Now to explain the why, I need to tell you what we might normally do at the beginning of a year like 2020. I don't know if you've heard this rumor yet, but 2020 is an election year. Are, is you, are you aware of this? Do you know? 2020 is an election year, and, and it's, every year is an election year, but this is one of those that's a little bit different, okay? People tend to get a little bit more out of hand during a year like this. And so, what we have done in the past, many times, is in, in January of a year like this, we've done a series that might be titled, Jesus, Politics, in 24-Hour News. That was a series that we did at the beginning of 2012, and so as we began to talk about the beginning of 2020 and the spring and the series that we were going to be doing, we talked f- about doing that for about five minutes. And over the course of that five minutes, it became clear that none of us were interested in doing that series. And our sense was that none of you would come to church if we did a series about Jesus politics and 24-hour news or whatever we might define that. That, that. And that's actually counterproductive. We want you to be here, okay? So... And looking at that and thinking through, well, we, we just don't even really wanna do this. And we have the sense that no one will actually wanna come. I thought there was an insight in, in, in that recognition that, that if we were on the right track with that idea, that that is incredibly revealing about an experience that we are all sharing right now, a world in which we're living, a culture in which we're, we're living today, that we today, this is, this is my conviction, that we are today living in a culture of despair. And if you need a formal definition of what despair is, despair is the loss or the absence of hope. That we are living in a culture of despair as part of what drives this, this idea that I don't even wanna talk about that, I don't even wanna hear about that. And that despair is the sense of, of, of loss, the, the absence of hope. And here's the why, this is the important note that it is a big deal when the people of hope lose hope. It's a problem. It's a big deal when the people of hope lose hope. Within the church, if this is true, this should raise our alarm. And instead, what we have probably all been doing is we've been avoiding the reality in, the, in which we are living today, the world in which we're living, the culture in which we're living. But it's a big deal when the people of hope lose hope. And, and so I wanna suggest to you that this is something that we need to simply admit as a problem. We need to admit it to ourselves, we need to admit it to one another. We need to confess it to God. And in confessing it to God, recognizing and owning up to the, to the idea that this, uh, th- this loss of hope This sense of despair is actually fostering in us the sin of divisiveness and the demonizing of one another. And so the what we hope to be inspired and the why is because we need it. We need it in a culture uh, of despair, a world that seems to be marked by the absence of hope. The people of hope need to be reminded of who we are and how we are called to live in the world uh, that we find ourselves today. So with that in mind, the what and the why, I want to share with you a clip. Uh, This is not from the show Mr. Rogers, but uh, it is from uh, Fred Rogers' testimony before Congress Uh, in 1969. He was advocating for funding for public uh, educational television. So watch this uh, short clip with me.
1: What do you do with the mad that you feel, when you feel so mad you could bite, when the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right? What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead, and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this, and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady, and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. Looks like you just earned the $20 million.
0: invite you now to hear from Ephesians chapter 4 I'm going to read you the first six verses and I want to share three observations with you today I want you to I want to invite you to hear these on two different levels I want you to hear them as the way in which you want to start this series uh, and frame uh, what we're going to be doing and why we're doing it but I also want to invite you just for a moment to set aside if you will any resolutions that you have already made for this brand new year they may be wonderful great things that you might aspire to do goals that you have for uh, for a brand new year but I want to invite you to hear these as what might be uh, or might should be the true aim of our life as we think about uh, this new year that is beginning. So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, uh, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, be completely humble and gentle So notice first with me that Paul is making an appeal here. And the appeal he's making to the Christians in Ephesus is that they would live a life worthy of the calling that they have received. And he makes this appeal out of an understanding of who he is. He he describes himself as a prisoner for the Lord, which for Paul at this moment was true on two levels. Number one, he was at this time serving time. He was in prison, as Paul found himself in that uh, predicament numerous occasions during his ministry. He was imprisoned, he was detained for preaching about Christ. So he was literally a prisoner of the Lord. That was his physical reality. But much more significantly, this was a theological conviction that Paul had. Paul, in his new life with Christ, he saw himself as a prisoner of the Lord. This is how he understood his life, that he was a servant, he was a prisoner, he was a slave to Christ. In Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In Philippians, he talks about everything that his life used to be and how he considers it all a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He talks about his former life as garbage. What, worthy of being thrown out because of the new life, the new person that he has become. In Second Corinthians he says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the, the new has come. In Romans, this is even perhaps more clear. In Romans says, you have been set free from sin and you are now a slave to God. And just in case you find yourself thinking, well, this is just Paul. He was just over the top. He took this a little too far. Remember what Jesus said. The Gospel of Luke chapter 9, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will, what? Lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will, what? Save it. And so for Paul, this this passion he had for his position, his understanding of who he was, this is what gave his life the razor-sharp focus that he had. And it's from this position, this understanding of his life and the life of all those who had given their lives to Jesus, that he says, you should live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So so here's the first observation that we might make is, is that life makes sense when Christ is king. As you think about everything that the year ahead might bring and what it means to mold your life according to the pattern of Christ, to follow Christ and everything that you do, life makes sense when Christ is king. That doesn't mean that life is easy, but it does mean that the confusion in which we often live, the cloudiness of our lives can become clear when we live with the perspective and the conviction that Christ is king, that Jesus is Lord. If nothing else, when we live with the conviction that Christ is king and Jesus is Lord, it protects us and it prevents our hope from migrating into someone else or something else. Christ is king and Jesus is Lord and so he is our hope. In all things, in all situations, in all circumstances, regardless of what they might, might be, Jesus is Lord and Christ is King, and it completely changes the way in which you live and experience the world. It also clarifies some questions, some that may not be too difficult for you, but let me just give you a couple examples, and I apologize if this sounds self-serving. I don't in- intend it to be. I think it's actually for your own benefit, but you might ask the question, should I come to church every week? It's the first weekend of the year. I'm here, checking in. I am beginning a new year. I'm, I'm in church. Should I make this a priority in my life over the course of this year? Do they have this every seven days just because they're bored? Or what, what's going on? Should, should this be something that I should make a priority in my life? Well, if Jesus is Lord and Christ is King, that is not a hard question. That is an incredibly simple question. The question is Yes. Because Jesus is Lord and Christ is King. Well, but what if my favorite preacher is not preaching? What if it's David again? I don't know if I can take that. <laughs> what if I, I, every, all of my friends are going to be gone? My, my, everyone that, and who sits next to me, they, it's going to be empty. Or, man, this weekend has just become really full. I don't think I have time for this. I think I've got to do all these other things. What am I supposed to do? Well, if Jesus is Lord and Christ is King, that is a very, easy question to deal with should I seek to live each day pushing myself to live a more generous life in all the different expressions of generosity should I seek to be more financially generous with the kingdom of God that we are praying together will come here on earth as it is in heaven should I seek to be generous with my time whether it's time spent serving within, within the body that is the church, or maybe it is the time that you would intentionally give to a coworker who reaches out and, and, and is seeking help. Or, or the talent that God has blessed you with, the things that you can uniquely do, should you be generous with that? Well, if Jesus is Lord and Christ is King and all belongs to Him and you have died and the life that you now live is the life that you live in Christ, that, that is not a hard question. It's really easy. Should I forgive? I really don't want to. I don't want to say I'm sorry. I do not want to admit that I made a mistake. Should I do that? Well, if Jesus is Lord and Christ is King, all of a sudden that question becomes really simple. Here's one you may not have thought about before. Is it okay that right now I'm not okay? I heard someone many years ago who was going through cancer treatment and and she was the kind of person who all throughout her life she had been the person with energy and enthusiasm and joy. She was a magnet. Other people wanted to be around her because of this this happiness and joy that just exuded from her life. And and, and she said, right now, I just don't feel that. I don't feel good. And, And that was not only a statement of how she felt physically, but she also felt bad because she wasn't able to be this person that she had been for everyone else in her life. Is it okay to not be okay? Well, if Jesus is Lord and Christ is king and he is our hope and our hope is not in ourselves or the expectations that we might fill for the people around us, then, well, the answer is yes. It's okay to not be okay. Life makes sense when Christ, when Christ is king. And many of the questions that we struggle with, we wrestle with, we find ourselves wondering about and can't seem to come to, an, uh, come to a conclusion, they're, they're really simple. When we live with a perspective that Jesus is Lord and Christ is King, and when we live with that perspective, when we see ourselves as servants and slaves, as prisoners uh, of the Lord, surrendering all of our life to him, uh, then, then that leads to this, this next idea that what we believe should define how we behave. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. You know that in another portion of his writings, he speaks about the fruits of God's spirit working in your life. He talks about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. These are not suggestions for how to live a more fulfilling or happy life. These are the expectations of anyone who lives their life according to the conviction that Jesus is Lord and Christ is King. Some of you uh, were here last week and you got to hear Pastor Julian preach. And if you did, I know that you enjoyed it because all weekend long, I got messages telling me that you enjoyed it. And I heard it all uh, uh, over the weekend and during the week, how how awesome his message was. I even got messages like this, which I sometimes get. They start in this way, Pastor David, please… Please take this the right way. I really like it when you preach, but I just want you to know, Julian really knocked it out of the park. Which, by the way, this is an aside. You can always say that. That is not discouraging in the least. The most depressing thing that any senior pastor could hear after not preaching for a weekend is, oh, I'm so glad you're back. Don't do that to us again. I mean, that's just totally depressing because this is hard. It's impossible to do every week. So Julian preached for the first time, and you loved it. Julian's been here since July, and in the first few months of him being here, he experienced something that every new pastor on our church uh, in our church experiences. And he came and talked to me about it, and he said, you know, I go to the grocery store, I'm picking up my kids from school, I'm just out in the community doing something, and all of these people who I don't, I don't recognize at all are like, hey, Pastor Julian, what's up? And he said, you know, it's just kind of weird, because I, I don't know who... All of these people are. They've, they recognize me, but I don't recognize them. And, and so I shared with him what I've shared with many others and was shared with me 15 years ago. Julian, this is just part of the price that you pay for being a pastor here at this church. It's just one of the drawbacks, I gotta tell you. <laughs> it's one of the things that you gotta deal with. I I hate to tell you this, but you're just going to have to be nice everywhere that you go. (laughs) The other day at the gym, someone waved in my direction, and I waved back, and they were not waving at me. (laughs) But I just know you got to be nice. Sorry, man, I mean, it's just, it's just part of the gig here. You gotta be nice. You may not feel great on that day, but you gotta be nice. You never know when you're gonna bump into somebody who recognizes you and you don't recognize them. It's just, I'm sorry, you just gotta be nice. What would it look like in your life or in the lives of others, in the, in the space that you inhabit, in, in your workplace, your relationships, if kindness and gentleness and patience And love, if you just receive those as the expectations of your life for someone who is seeking to live as a follower of Jesus, for someone who is seeking to live with the perspective that Christ is King and Jesus is Lord, I don't feel like being patient today. Well, it's just part of the gig. You're going to have to wait in line. You're going to have to be gentle when you may not feel like it, kind when you may not feel like it, responding in the way that Jesus would when maybe that's not where your heart is because it's just part of the deal. It's part of what we have signed up for when we say yes to Jesus, not suggestions, but expectations of the life that we are called to live. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The final idea is this, that unity is our shared responsibility. We are all accountable for the unity of the body and the unity of the spirit. We're all accountable for that. And others will always disappoint us in their effort to maintain that unity. But that never excuses our responsibility to make every effort in our life to maintain the unity of the spirit and the unity of the body. Now, unity, by the way, is not agreement. Unity is not an expression of agreement. Unity is an expression of love. And and the idea uh, that agreeing with one another uh, is a prerequisite for loving one another is just not true. It's just not true. Agreeing with one another is never a requirement of loving one another. Let me just give you one example, and I'm gonna, I'll speak to the most theologically divisive issue we could, we could possibly imagine. Some of you have cats. <laughs> and you love your cats. And when you talk about why you love your cat, you say because... My cat's not like other cats. Other cats are weird and they're mean, you know, they… whatever, but not my cat. My cat is… my cat is wonderful. And I've met some of your cats. (laughs) And they're just like every other cat. (laughs) And i got to tell you, I love dogs. And I don't understand why some of you love cats. I don't get it. I just don't understand it. I I have, I'm convinced God loves dogs. (laughs) I am unclear on how God feels about cats. (laughs) But I want you to know, just in case you're wondering, I have no issue, there's there's no barrier for me in being a pastor for people who love cats. (laughs) I may not understand you or, or agree But I don't have any issue being a pastor for you. And I know that sounds silly, but yet so much of what divides us is is really that meaningless. It just really doesn't matter. And it certainly shouldn't be something that would undermine our capacity to love. To love with the same love that Christ has loved us. So I want to challenge you, whatever you've resolved to do in this year ahead, again, there may be some wonderful things that you've set as goals. I I want to challenge you to to pursue this aim, to live as Christ uh, uh, with the perspective that Christ is King, to understand that that belief defines the behavior of your life and unity. Unity, we're all responsible for that. We are all responsible for maintaining the unity of the spirit and the unity of the body. And as people of hope, it is our job to day by day and moment by moment push back against a culture of despair and refuse to surrender to the hopelessness that seems to surround us and all of the things that that fosters within us. That you have an opportunity in the year ahead to be someone whose life is so dramatically different from others that people who right now feel hope slipping away might find it again because of your commitment to live with the perspective that Christ is King and Jesus is Lord. So we're going to close today by sharing a prayer uh, that John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, uh, wrote uh, hundreds of years ago. It was a prayer prayer that uh, he and other Methodists would pray at the beginning of uh, every year. It was part of their practice and has been within uh, the Methodist movement and all the different expressions of that uh, ever since then for, for hundreds of years. It's called the Wesley Covenant Prayer. And I don't expect that you know it by heart. And so I'm going to ask you to repeat after me uh, as we pray this prayer and as we commit ourselves in a brand new year uh, to living our lives as followers of Christ, those who are committed uh, to uh, imitating the pattern that Jesus has shared with us. Will you pray with me and repeat after me? I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what Thou wilt. Rank me with whom Thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for Thee or laid aside for Thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty exalted for Thee thee. or brought low for Thee. thee. Let me have all things, let me have have nothing. nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things things. to to Thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thou, art and Thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. So be it. And, the earth, and the covenant which I have made here on earth, let it be ratified
1: in heaven. Ratified in heaven. Amen.